Welcome to Men Hurt 2, brought to you by hashtag Coffee with T, and I'm T. Men Hurt 2 is a safe space where men get to share their truth from their life, from experience, from their education, and from conversations that they may have had with other men. So today I'm excited. Y'all know I'm always excited on Mondays because we have Man Convo Monday, and the men come and they just teach and tell their truth, and it's just so enlightening. So today we have Adrian and Carter. As a conflict resolution practitioner, Adrian is a trained mediator, facilitator, and executive conflict coach. Additionally, Adrian is the author of a powerful book on love, marriage, and relationships titled Let's Get Married and Do Everything Except Make It Last, mm -hmm. a heart-to-heart -heart with men on loving and leading. The book challenges social norms and gender roles for the betterment of romantic and interpersonal relationships. Author Adrian Ann Carter is the founder of the Empower Men Conference, a male empowerment initiative focused on conflict resolution, leadership development, and redefining the identity of men in the 21st century. Adrian teaches interpersonal and organizational leadership in a way that resolves conflict by bridging the gap between persons and organizations using a multifaceted leadership development tool known as the Ellison Model. Welcome, Adrian. Adrian can be found at Adrian Carter Speaks. Good morning, my brother. Good morning. Good morning. Good listen, morning. I'm so excited because, listen, I read your book. You know, we were talking on the back end of how your book had me questioning my own self, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So what I like to start with, um, with all of the men that I talk to is give us a little background, a blueprint of how you were raised. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your mother and your father. Oh, that is a superb question. I've, I've, <laughs> never, I've never had that question straight out the gate. Uh, I, I was raised with my father and my stepmother. I came to the United States of America when I was seven years old. I lived with my mother in Jamaica, where I was born. And my father came back uh, to get me when I was seven years old. And so I came to the States here in South Florida, uh, in Miami, Florida, and I live with my stepmother, who um, who I appreciate so much more now in adulthood than I did in childhood. Be very uh, honest about that. I'm 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 always apologizing to her for being a a bad kid. <laughs> I was rude and stubborn. I was rude and stubborn as a kid, and of course, you know, I'm I'm thinking my parents, my mom. Well, so when I say mom, I'm talking about my stepmom. And then when I talk about my biological mom, I'm also I would also say mom. So sometimes I have to clarify. Oh uh, yes, because <laughs> I call them both moms. Um, and but I'm always apologizing to her for just having been the kind of child that I was because you know in adulthood and having my own kids, I now understand I get it right in more profound ways than one. And uh, yeah, so I grew up here in the states, and my my father and I are extremely close. Um, I'm his only child, and that makes for a very a very close relationship. My father loves me a lot, right? I, I can tell, um, and I knew as a child that he loved me. You know, I had one of those Simba um, moments where he held me up outside after Hurricane <laughs> Andrew back in 1992, and he just looked me in my eyes. And I could just see all this love that was just in this man's soul for me <clears throat> as his son. So I, um, that, that has held me up, right, for such a long time. And with my stepmother, um, we had a tumultuous relationship, but the re I realized that it, it was because of me, <laughs> mostly because I was, I was stubborn, I was rude. Um, I, was a, I, I ran away from home. Um, at one point I was, yeah, I have a whole runaway story and, um, I was out of my parents' care for about a year. Um, wow. Came back home. Yeah. And then, um, and then that relationship was never quite the same. Um, and then I have my biological mother who was in Jamaica at the time and who I visited a couple of times during while growing up. I, I do wish I would have seen her more while growing up right so you know a lot of times kids act out but we don't but when you're but children don't have the words to formulate their feelings so it makes me wonder if i was acting out because maybe i wanted to see my mother more or what was going on with me but i was all over the place um you know wow. during those years but 
Um, but we have a great relationship overall. They're very supportive. Um, there's so much love. And my extended family on my stepmother's side from the Bahamas, I, I have never once felt out of place. It, I, it's, oh my God, it's family to the core, like from day one. Yeah, they, they, are, they are the most loving, supportive group of people um, I, have, I have in my life. So I've, I've grown up having, having a great respect and sense of family around me. That's awesome. Did you, not living with your mom, like you said, you were kind of all over the place running away. Did you feel like maybe she let you go? Or what was your feeling as a child that I lived with my dad and my step? I mean, we had a, I lived with my mom and my stepfather. We hear that, that's a common story. Mm-hmm. We don't hear the common story, a story of I live with my dad and my stepmother. We went to visit them, but I didn't live with them. So did that make you feel any kind of way because you weren't with your mom? Because the natural flow, and we're going to talk about social norms and all of that in a minute, is that the kids usually go with their biological mothers. Right. Well, you know, I, I understood very clearly as a child that coming to America was a better plan. I mean, if you live, oh. most people who live in Jamaica, it's you got to get to foreign. Right. You got to get to either the United States or the UK as a way for economic advancement, because the opportunities are not the same in Jamaica. I understood that very well as a child. Right. Because that's all you talk about <clears throat> is going across the waters. I I think um, I've never gone through a therapeutic process to process that childhood experience. Right. But even in just having this conversation, I think that definitely played a role in it, right? I, I came right. here, um, um, you know, I now have a new mom and it was rough at first, you know, trying to get acclimated and then I'm rude and, you know, and adult woman looking at you, rude, you don't come to my house being rude. So like, but that's why I say now in, in adulthood, I take all of it, right? I claim, I hold me accountable um, albeit that I was a child and didn't know better in some instances and in some instances did know better, hold me accountable because for someone to take you in and let me be very clear, my mother slash stepmother loved me like her own child, like from day right. one. It's, it was never a, anything of a mean step parent. If anything, I just simply thought she might have been, she was being mean and tagged it to being a step parent instead of tagged it to being a rude child. Right. Because our mothers are mean. When we're doing something, we don't have no business exactly. doing. Our exactly. biological mother. Right. right. So we always tag. It was the same thing with my stepfather. It was always because I was, because he was my stepfather. Like, you ain't my real daddy. Like, right. don't. Right. And I wasn't that way with him, but my brothers and sisters were kind of, but they were older. They went back and forth with my biological dad, but they were kind of like, who you think you are? You know, you just saying that because you my stepfather. And instead of you saying that, even my real father or mother would say that. Right. Would say so did same. your dad step in? Did your, when you were being rude, because sometimes as biological and step parents, we have this like, okay, well, I don't want to make my son feel like I'm picking my, the stepmother or the, the man. I don't want to make my kid feel like I'm picking the stepmother. Did your dad step in like, yo, dude, what's up? No, no, my, 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 my dad rode with my mom all the way. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> it wasn't, he, he wasn't on, he wasn't on my side. My dad was like, uh, you need to straighten up. <laughs> but I, but but no but it was really it was really mostly me could could my mom right. mom have done some things different or better that's every parent right my kids are going to look back at me one day and 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 I could say that there are some things I could have done different or better but really it it I was I was a rude child you know so right <laughs> you, when you're a rude child you get what rude children get and large in part and sometimes the hand that comes with that might be a little too heavy right Right. but we we only got here because you've been rude right (laughs) (laughs) we we didn't it's it's not like you i get whopped upside the head for no reason 
right? right? You know what I mean? It wasn't, we didn't end up here because I had, a, because I had a step parent who was just being nasty and rude to me. No, we ended up here because, boy, you need to get your, your life together, man. What you doing, boy? Who, who you think you're right. talking to? Who you think you're talking to? So. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, and you know, that's how black mamas are anyway, but especially when you're being rude. How did, um, how did your upbringing uh, affect you as a parent? Or has it had any effect on you in your parenting? Oh, I mean, all, all, all the effect. Um, I am, um, I'm a very affectionate, nurturing father. And, um, and, and that has a lot to do with the fact that both of my parents, right? My mom and dad slash stepmom were very affectionate. Um, they very touchy feely. Um, so I, I love to hug my kids. I want to talk to them. I want to play with them. Um, so I'm, yeah, that all the way, all the way. And um, you, you I, go ahead. How I, how I speak to my kids for the most part, I'm, I'm a very calm person. Right. Um, and, and that's been tested and proven, you know, <laughs> when I, when I used to work at a, uh, in one of my past jobs, you look at my performance evaluation, but man, you're so calm. Wow, why are you so calm? Like I've I've repeatedly heard that, and I'm calm because my father is calm, right? He's one who just kind of he sits still and he absorbs, right? And then he, and then he responds, you know, in due time. And I'm and I'm I take after that, so um, I don't take things so seriously, right? Um, I kind of let things play out, you know. Don't, that's all things that I get from my father and and growing up with my mom as well. And you said you were touchy feeling, you you know, because your your family was, and in your book you talk about your your first marriage. I don't know if you're married again, but your marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm that, not married again, dissolved. but yes. Okay, you talked about your marriage that dissolved, your first marriage, and you went through a a, 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 a time where you weren't getting affection. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's because just because you were so used to touchy feely that maybe she wasn't? Like, oh, how does that dynamic affect you with personal relationships? Because everybody don't want to be touched. I'm from a touchy family too, but I've met people like, don't yeah. hug me. I'm yeah, like, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm from um, my love language um, slash what I call communication language is touch. Um, so to not, so to not have that physical interaction, or oh, it, it, it. If you, it's feels like I'm dying almost. I, I feel like a flower that's just not getting watered and just shriveling up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh. And it and it and it's not. I, I think the mishap was they mistook it for being sexual. And it and it was nothing of the kind, right? This was not about being sexual. This was about hugs and kisses and leaning on me and. Um, and, and hopping, jumping on top of me, right? This, this was about, yes. this is about, you know, walking by and, and just, and just, you know, touching a part of your body to just, you know, even if, even if saying, excuse me, or, Hey babe, I need to get past you. Right. It, there's something that can be affectionate about even that exchange. So it's, it's nothing to do with being sexual at all, but yeah, it, that, that, that is, it's, it feels like you're dying. I'm gonna be honest with you. You feel like you're being, you feel like you're being wrung out. Like what's in you is like being squeezed out because, because that's how you communicate. That's how you exchange in the world. Right. Wow. So listen, if you just tuned in, you're tuned into Men Hurt Too, brought to you by Hashtag Coffee with Tea. I'm your girl, Trey Kearney. I'm here with Adrian Carter. And um, we're talking about, you know, a lot of times on my platform, I don't talk about relationships like with men, like, cause I just, I hear so many relationship things and people just want to tear men apart. Men cheat, why men cheat? Well, I don't, those, those are not the kinds of conversations that I want to, I like to have on this platform. I just like men to come and share. But your book was so eye-opening when it comes to relationships and just your um, accountability your authenticity and your transparency is, I feel like this is a safe place for you to share about relationships because you were just really honest in the book. So um, being faithful, in, in part of your book, you said being faithful, you said, don't cheat. Right. Is it really just that simple? 
Yeah, yeah, but it 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 is right to a so certain extent, but it's the why I say it, right? Right. Yep. It's the Come why on. I say it. <laughs> I don't I don't say it be, for the wrong and right of it. I I say it because of the power dynamics of it. Um, because a lot of times what what happens in relationships is, um, and and this may be more of just my personal observation, more so than my research observation, that. It's really a position of power with women when you cheat because they, it's as if that overrides all of what they've done, right? Oh. All of the factors that has impacted the man in the relationship. So she can be, list whatever you want to list that works against the success of the relationship, his emotions, um, and his trust. But those are things that we don't, that I think we take for granted when it comes to men, right? And th those are almost questions we don't even ask because there's only one party in the relationship that's allowed to be emotional, right? The emotional space is given to the woman. So we're not going to question how the man feels, his emotional health, what stressors he's under. Um, in fact, his, in fact, the definition of masculinity or manhood becomes his ability to manage stress and to not be emotional and to and to not feel right the same way she does and so she can work i mean the the and i'm gonna go bible for a moment here where the scripture says that a contentious woman right she works to destroy her house so in the in the process of destroying her house if he decides that i'm now going to step out of the relationship as a way to find reprieve in another, to find comfort in another woman. Oh, all bets are off now because you, you done stepped out and almost, and everything that she's done to, to, to aid and abet in the destroying of her own house is now overlooked because you cheated. So right. I, so I'm admonishing men don't do it simply because you, 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 you lose the position of power when you do. No, right. right. We could talk about it being wrong, but the reason why I don't talk about it being wrong is because we usually talk about it being wrong as in more wrong than the hands that she used as a contentious woman to destroy her own house. Mm. Right, Ladies, so if, I hope y'all got a pen and y'all writing this down. So, so, be, so men then lose a position of their own space to be able to say, this is what I'm going through and this is how I'm hurting. And this is how you're destroying our relationship or contributing to it. All of that gets undermined because he stepped out. She socially has the ability to say, well, because you stepped out, you're no longer a good man. And, and that becomes the highlight of, of the destruction in their relationship. But I mean, therapists, professionals will tell you all day long, by the time the relationship gets to someone stepping outside of the relationship, right? Things been bad, right? Right. Um, either individually with that person who needed their own therapy or their own counseling or something specifically within the relationship over a period of time. But that's not the way that most people process that experience. Right. I like that you said that. Like once men, I want, I just need the men to listen in case they don't get the book. But men, please go get the book. This book will help you out. And ladies get the book too, because it helped me. I, I know some stuff now. But it, it helps to know that you didn't say don't cheat just because cheating is wrong. You, you have a science behind it that once you cheat, you don't matter anymore. You just took away your whole human being self because that is to women and, and society, the worst thing you could do is cheat because now you're nobody because you're a cheater and a liar. So I like that. So um, people, places, and things, you talk about divorce and, and you're not just talking about a divorce with a woman. You're talking about divorcing things that contribute to the divorce, right? Right. So share a little bit about that, or that contributes to the demise of any relationship. Yeah, you know, I, I that's a good point. I mentioned that in two aspects. You know, that people cheat with people, places, and things, right? So a lot of times people think that oh, it's because you stepped out of the relationship with an individual that you've cheated, but when you listen to the stories of men and women, when a person is prioritizing something else other than you in the relationship, after a while that thing becomes their significant other, 
right? Whether oh. it's their career, whether it's their hobby, whether it's their best friend, <laughs> whether it's church, you know, something else becomes that much more significant and that becomes the person's uh, significant other. So people end up cheating with not just other people, but also with places and things. And in the process of trying to create a healthy dynamic in your relationship, people have to learn to divorce what creates divorce, right? They have to learn how to divorce themselves from other people, places, and things that can potentially lead to divorce. And that's a conversation that you have to have with your partner um, to, in, to ensure that you're maintaining a safe space with your relationship. Mm, that was so good. That, that was good. So I know early on, you were, you talk about being sexually molested. And a lot of times men don't have grace and mercy in life, period, because we don't know your story, right? We get into relationships, and, and I'm not only talking about sexual or intimate relationships with men and women, I'm talking about on your job, I'm talking about with, with uh, friends and family. We don't know your backstory. A lot of us don't know people, we just meet them and we don't, we assume, oh, this is a solid person. What does that do to, a man that has been violated in that way at an early age. Yeah, well, you know what it did from what what it did to me was it it kept me in a space of always trying to prove my manhood, right, um, and always hiding um, just ways in which I just felt inferior or or I just felt less than as a person, right. Um, because it's it's this truth about yourself that only you know or very few people know and and it's almost like you feel like damaged goods but nobody knows you know so you try to hide that part of your packaging that was that's all dent up in the back right so you <laughs> you don't want people to see you and 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 overlook you on the shelf and so you so I did a lot of um posturing if you will I did a lot of just um not knowing how to be my authentic self, right? Because I felt broken on the inside in a lot of ways. And it wasn't until I got to college that I felt being me and being my authentic self was was the best, became the best space for me to do that. I loved college. Oh, I mean, I love college. Oh. I had the opportunity when I was in college, I was the student body president at Florida International University. Um, I was, um, I, I was the BMOC. I was a big man on campus. I had, yeah. um, I, I was political. Um, I could be political, funny, silly, educational. I got to, it, it, college was a space for you to be anything, right? And people didn't judge you. <laughs> That's what was right. interesting, right? In college, you weren't judged. Um, in high school, even though people didn't know about that past from when I was nine years old, I was still working through that within my own self, right? But college, right. I felt like my wings spread. Um, I grew um, up more into being a young man. Um, I had these successes under these, my belt. These, So I had a higher sense of accomplishment. I was well-respected on campus. I was able to move in and out of spaces. So it felt great. Uh, what happened then is when I moved, when, when I got married, right into with the mother of my children that's when things seem to fan back up because right just had settled in college but then here it is i was with someone who was fanning these things this dust back up but what that taught me was well one that the dust needed the dust was still there right so it needed right. to be addressed um removed and that's where counseling came in therapy came in um and i had a and i had a, a great rebirth right of getting that situation settled and understanding that it wasn't my fault um i was i was only nine years old right i was in a precarious situation um and and knowing who i am and whose i am so i was able to go through that process but it's the the destructive part of the hurtful part was having someone who was supposed to be as close as they were to you in that space of husband and wife um re-perpetrating Right, some of those right. that that was experienced wow. as a child. Wow, one. I have. A, how do you even have that conversation for for a young man 
or a, a man, lots of older men have not had this conversation. It, it is affecting their livelihood. It is affecting their manhood. It is affecting everything around them. Yeah. How do you even, like, you meet a new woman and it's getting serious. Is that a conversation? I think it's a conversation that you need to have, but how do you well, even have that conversation? Well, I think, I think, I, I so I'm the type of person that, well, now that there's a book on it, they can clearly read it, right? You know, I talk about it in the book, but I, but I'm, I'm, I've always been one who's been pretty open and transparent, right? Um, um, to a certain degree, right? I've, I've learned to just be like, listen, let's just, let's just open up all the doors to the house and, you know, you could just walk through, <laughs> take a look, right? You know, no back rooms are, um, are, are here anymore, but I, but it wasn't even so much a matter of meeting and sharing. Once I think I got close enough with someone, right, where that might be something that I that I may have shared. And it's not that I mind sharing it, but I think when I when I look back on my past, because remember I was married, keep in mind I was married when I was 26 years old, right? Right. I'm 26 to 35. So it wasn't so it's it's not I'm I'm not having a there was only one essential main relationship here, right? So it's not right. Well, I'm, I'm re-meeting and re-engaging to to see where this relationship's going to go. That's not what's happening. Um, so, so, but I would just think in the sanctity or in the safety of marriage, yes, that's information that gets shared, right? But and I and I and even with who you know, um, you know, if I'm dating and it becomes serious then yeah, that gets shared. I, I, it's not to me anything that I'm apprehensive about sharing, but where I have come to is I could say that I don't feel as if it's necessary to share, right? If right. that right, if that topic gets broached, if it's something that I talk about on stage like this in an interview, then it comes up, it comes up. But I don't think, right. but I'm no longer in a space where, hey, you know, this happened to me and dot, 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 dot. Not because I feel any way about it, but it's because I no longer feel any way about it. Well, that's good because you work through it. I've so, lady, you work through it. I love that. So, I just, I just need women to understand that certain things are going to come up when you get to a place of a certain connection. But when people work through things, they really don't have to discuss it. But if a, you have to be mindful that some men have and women have not worked through their stuff. And it shows up in the relationship because they're hiding it. Like I talk about, you know, I talked about when we were on Dr. Boyce's panel and I committed adultery. So my marriage dissolved because I could talk about it now because I'm not that person. But I mean, I don't bring it up if I'm if I, I'm not dating right now. But when I date, I'm not just going to be like, oh, I committed adultery. <laughs> right, right, but right. But if, if it's necessary for it to come up because I've, I've passed that stage in my life. So that was some good stuff. I just need women to understand that sometimes it's not coming up because the man is not lying because he's worked through it. He just doesn't feel like it's necessary to talk about it because it's not a pain point anymore. Right. So is it like once you've gone through, and this is just because I want people, women and men to in the world to understand how men are men hurt too. That's, you know, that's the name of the podcast men hurt too. When you've gone through these things in life, molestation, you get trust somebody and they fan the flames uh, you've been betrayed, you know, you didn't live with your mom. How do we deal with these components of a man that has been through all of this without shaming him? And how are you, and how well, are you comfortable sharing? Yeah, well, I, I think, <laughs> I think people have to make sure that they are really aligned as individuals as they get into a relationship because two things happen at once um there is your personal development your personal individual development and then there is your development as a couple right and that alignment and right. when when you care about someone when you when the more aligned you are and this is across the board is the more empathetic you are to other people Mm. blank period because when you are accountable to yourself aligned in your purpose and have an understanding of who you are 
there's no way you walk around the world not understanding that everybody's going through a process and their own process, right? Because you understand that you're going through one. The, 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 the challenge which I think requires great wisdom is identifying somebody who you are able to connect with who you don't mind going through the process with. Mm. Because you're gonna because we're gonna continuously go through the process. Um, do I so so I if people are able to get to that right and, and it's that magic space, if you will, right, that requires the most prayer, the most meditation, the most focus, the most attention, right? Not if not if the person is going through things or is in the process, but am I willing to go through the process with them? Right. Do they add enough mm -hmm. value to my life that makes it worth it for me to go through the process with them and them go through the process with me? Right. Am I going to add enough value as well? And then when people can connect in that space, I think I think they're much better and capable of working with each other through these things. Right. Because now you're not looking at a person. Who, oh, you you experienced this or you experienced domestic violence. I know there are plenty of women who have experienced domestic violence um, in, in a very um, in, in a very violent way who are, who have to work through that, right? And who still want to be in a relationship, but how does she move forward in a relationship with a man knowing what it is to also have been domestically abused, right, by a man, right? So right. that man has to be in a space where he's able to work with her through that process as she's also willing to work through her process herself. Right. So I think those are the big indicators. And now, if you have a person who's not willing to work through their own process, but you're willing to work through them, then you're on an uphill battle. You, you, because now I'm pulling you and and your luggage. I'll, I could pull you, but you got to pull your luggage. We could pull each other up the mountain and we could even take turns doing that. But I but you you got to be pulling your luggage, too. Right. I, I think that that's but that's learning how to do that that makes the work I do as a coach worthwhile, right? As a life coach, as an executive life coach, it, it's that type of thought process that I'm trying to teach my clients of how to do so they can choose better for themselves and for their family. Man, you just freed me. Thank you so much. If nobody else didn't get nothing today, you just freed me. You cannot save a person who don't want to save themselves. I don't care how hard you try or how much you pour. If they're not trying to seal that crack, it ain't gonna work. So, so thank right. you so much. I, I just love you for that. You just gave me like a whole, a whole aha moment. So, in your book, oh, and if you don't know, we're here with Mr. Adrian and Carter, and this is his book. I got all these tabs in here. I'm sorry, it looks crazy, but this is his book. It's Let's Get Married and Do Everything Except Make It Last. It is a wonderful book about men. And in your book, you talk about um, social norms and gender roles, right? So, when I was reading the book. I was saying to myself, I'm an old-fashioned girl. You know, I believe a man's supposed to take care of the house. He's the head of the household. He's supposed to pay the bills. Not red bottoms and pocketbooks and fur coats. If I want that, that's the one me. But he's supposed to be able to have the, the bare necessities, food, water, shelter, car, insurance, stuff that he's supposed to have on his own. But you made me question myself as in, you know, women, we ask for the old-fashioned. Well, my grandfather used to do this and do that. But then on the other hand, we want to go out and work and we want to be the breadwinner. We want to start an entrepreneur and do all this other stuff. But we only want to adopt from 1942 what works for us. So talk a little bit about that. <laughs> you said it. Let me tell you, this is the part of the conversation that grinds my gear when it comes to women, because I'm watching women exploit the system. Right. You and So you have to understand it from a male's perspective. Right. I didn't write this in the book, but this but this correlates. So what is money? Right. And I would love for you to ask, to ask Dr. Boyce Watkins this, this question when you interview him, too. Right. What is money? Yeah. Money ultimately is a tool. It is a tool that is used for the express purpose of of meeting our needs in society. OK, so so let's understand that. So historically, men have been charged with earning capital money for the purpose of providing for the needs that he has in society and his family. So, so money is a tool that's to be used 
for that purpose. That's its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is not leisure, right? It's not recreation. It's not for fun. You see, as a man, and understand this, as a man, money for me is not for fun. Money is for the express purpose of taking care of my family, first and foremost. So, so if historically you were not allowed to get money the same way I was allowed to get money, then it makes sense for you to keep the, the little money you get because it's little. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the need of taking care of the family. It doesn't meet the, it doesn't meet the requirement to do what it was intended to do. You could go to the store and get you a couple popsicles and drinks and you could probably and get you a dress because your money doesn't amount to what is necessary, right? For to, in, to do what it was intended to do. That's, that's number one. And, and that's across the board. Even if you look at, at of the United States of America and you talk about what our taxes go to, it goes to defense and it goes to social services heavily. Those are for the express purpose of taking care of the country. So this is the warped notion. And, I'm, and I say warped from my perspective as a man is women want money to play with and men have to use it to be serious with. So it, oh. it, so that so that say wait a minute wait hold on you 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 want money but to play that that doesn't make sense it, that's not what money is for but women are like yeah 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 it is I get to play with mine but you got to be serious with yours help me make right make it make sense from a male perspective because the charge that we have is different so what has happened is women now have fought since the late 1800s with the feminist movement the women's suffrage movement the 70s with the now uh with the national organization of women to we end up what the fourth leg of the feminist or the fifth leg of the feminist movement for the purpose of equal pay recognition in what women contribute to the workplace um statistically there are more women in the workplace now statistically black women have the highest have the most are the most degreed people in the world those things have led to capital right that women have historically not had so you cannot choose to be groundbreaking in acquiring funds but want to be traditional right in the role of men wow you so you that's you, you're it's almost like stealing wow think about it right you, it's, it's almost like stealing you get you get the benefits of the 21st century and what the women's movement have done for you but you don't want men to have a movement you want to keep men relegated to the 1950s but you can't do that you got to take everything with you if you want the 1950s take jim crow with it i i, I go take jim crow too you you don't get to just pick and choose what part of the social construct that is most convenient for you and bring it into the 21st century while you get to exploit the, the world for everything that the women's movement has benefited you for. So if we are going to be fair, in my opinion, then we have to have a different conversation. We have to have a 21st century conversation. And I think that's what that's what my book not I think but that is what my book is talking about where women are trying to double dip they want it both ways they want to have access to upward mobility they want to gain capital they want to be able to be a six-figure earner if possible but they also want to hold men relegated to well because you are the man you're supposed to do these things based on history and tradition but women don't like it when we say because you are the woman you're not supposed to be in in high levels of office you're not supposed to be directors and leaders of men you're not supposed to be earning more than men because traditionally and historically that's the space where you were in Whoa. so you cannot have it both ways Whoa. it's gonna be some inboxes for you my brother Listen, yeah, that's fine. Gotta that's fine. I welcome them. I welcome them. And and you know what? E and even though people on the panel say that, people never inbox me. They don't. You want to know why? Because I'm mathematically sound and correct, 
right? At the Ooh. end, of, they don't like it. It doesn't feel good because what I've done is I'm taking away the blanket of tradition. I write in the book, tradition is just a nice cozy blanket. It feels good, but it doesn't mean that it is appropriate. It doesn't mean that it's real. It just feels good. Right. It feels comforting because the social contract around relationships have told us that this is what men are supposed to do and that this is what women are supposed to do. And I'm simply saying if if men are supposed to do this and women are supposed to do this, then if I apply to you the same standards of tradition and history, then you should not be working in the spaces that you're working in, earning the kind of capital you're working. But if oh. you are, but if you are, which I welcome. And I think it's fine. Then you cannot hold me to the same traditional constructs that you were once bound by. Somebody pass the collection plate. I'm sorry. Listen, right. I, so, so, so for, for, you, you killed I, me with the book. You killed so I, me. I just you want just... to say this one other point. I just want to say Go for, ahead. A group, for a group of people, women who believe in equality, do they really? because you don't really believe in equality, you more believe in you in the advancement of women, even if it means to the expense of men. Because if you, be, if you believed in equality, then your conversation would not be about, well, the man is supposed to do these things, traditional, historic, while I get to do these things. No, well, traditional and historic, you shouldn't be even workplace. How about you go home? Because you're taking oh. men, you're taking jobs from men that would have these that would have jobs to take care of their family, but instead you're in you're in that space. Wow. And I and I just want to say this to everybody that's listening. Adrian is not saying that he believes that women are supposed to be barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen. He's saying if we want to be out in workplaces and we want to change things traditionally on our end. We have to change things traditionally on the man's end. We can't expect men to do stuff when we're asking for this to change for us, but asking for this to stay the same with them. To say that a woman is making six figures and expects a man who is bringing home a minimal wage to still be responsible for things and doing the things, but we're saying I'm out and I'm out in the world. I'm working. I'm too tired to come home and have sex. I'm too tired to cook. I'm too tired to clean when traditionally that's what we were looking at. And now traditionally we want it to change for us, but traditionally we don't want it to change for Thanks, the men. Man. That's what he right. said. Absolutely. I don't want anybody to think that he's saying, Oh, women ain't supposed to be in corporate. He's just making a point just in case you just came in. I want to you, make sure y'all understand you could that. You can clarify for them, Trey. I appreciate it. I don't clarify anymore. <laughs> I, no, I just got to clarify because I want them to go get the book to understand that you're not, <laughs> that you're not a male chauvinist because people will be like, oh, did you hear what he said? I just want them to understand that. <laughs> I appreciate it. If you're old fashioned, you're old fashioned. You can't be old fashioned and new fashioned. Right, be old time. fashioned all the way, and get and if you want to be way. old, right, if you want to be old fashioned all the way, I got you, I, I I got you, I'll take. But we gonna live under my salary. We gonna we gonna live where I choose to for us to live, and that's gonna be our life. Now, got if you. you say, but if you say, and and this is what I and, and what I actually believe is what we, is where we currently are. If you say, if Trey, you say, no, I'm a brilliant woman. I have thoughts. I'm creative. I have something that I could add to this world. I'm going to say, you're damn right. You do. Y you will be foolish to stay in this home and not give the world the best of what you have. You, you should be aligned and walking in purpose and purpose filled. Okay. Now, if that alignment and that purpose filled leads you to $120,000 salary. And for the person who went to be to, and I could talk about educators because I'm, I'm, I'm also one. If you, if you want to talk about someone who also loved the kids and happens to work in work as a, as a teacher and they teach high school math and they only command a 50, $60,000 salary, it, it doesn't now become, well, because you're the man, you're not good enough because you don't make enough money. And it doesn't become because you're the man. Well, you're still responsible for taking care of all of these things while you have your $120,000 salary and he has his $50,000 salary. And all of a sudden 
it's a, it becomes a problem in the relationship because she's the breadwinner. And that's what I'm saying. You can't have it both ways. Ultimately, the, the money as a tool is supposed to be used for the express purpose of taking care of family. That's why we make the money. Wow. I love this. And you said, and we were talking behind, back in our little private talk before we started. And I, like I said, the book just had me thinking. Like I was like, wait a minute. Do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Because traditionally I watched this in my home. My stepfather, my mother served my stepfather his food when he came home from work. He was a police officer. She cleaned and cooked. She didn't, she didn't work. She had a couple of little jobs, just a couple of little jobs. I think she worked at Revlon one time. I think she sold Avon or some, something like that. But he took care of everything. And that's what I saw. So I had to, I was questioning myself, like, is this really traditional or was that their thing? You know what I'm saying? Because was that just their individual thing while my other aunts were somewhere working and helping in the house? Because we live what we learn. We live from our unfortunately right. sometimes from our parents experiences but you said mothers who have boys and i have three sons 26 21 and 11. and the book hit me and you said most of the time women who have sons the book kind of sort of resonates more with them why do you think that is so oh because what it because the book um reveals the ways in which men can be and are taken advantage of and I think deep down, <laughs> it ain't even that deep down. Women know <laughs> when they read the book that I'm telling the truth, right? I, I, out of all the people who've read the book, I've had only like two women who were like, this is baloney. Oh my God, I can't believe you wrote this. The vast majority of women have been like, wow, okay, no arguments here. I, I, can't, I can't argue with you. About you, you make good sense. You're right. But what the challenge is, how do you take this information from the book and now begin to work it into your life? And I think that's a that becomes a much longer process, right? Because the intent of the book is the first is to let me move these lens, right? Let me let me move the lens for you and show you the social construct of gender roles and social norms and now let you go through this own process on your own. So when women who have sons read it, they see the vulnerability of men. They see the possibility of victimization for men and women know how women of other women can be right. Ain't nothing like when you have a good woman on your side, she'd be the main one telling you to stay away from her. <laughs> right? right. She right. She's up to something. Right. And I've learned that a lot of times uh, when that's happened, I, I've, I've come to understand that that's not an indictment on me because before you used to feel like I'm not trying to do nothing and oh, you got to stay away from her. I don't trust when you talk. What you talking about? I'm not doing anything. But I've come to learn like that wasn't an indictment on me. That's women knowing how other women are. <laughs> so when so when, no. so when women read the book, they're like, you're right, because that's how women can be. So women with sons in their protective nature are saying, you know what? I have to protect my son because because Adrian, you're right. I know that this is how women can be. And so it resonates with them. It really does because I, that's how I feel about my boys. Don't be using my son and, and don't right. be putting your hands on my son. Right. And don't be talking right. to my son crazy because he's a human right. being too. And, right. and, and you're right, it resonated with me because I was like, hmm, because I do have boys. Like, I don't want nobody to be using him and she doing this and doing that. So that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, women, this is not to take us back. This is just to have an eye-opening conversation and again, like I said, this is men hurt too. And this is a safe space where men get to share their truth. So Adrian gets to come on here and tell us from the male perspective, because as women, we can really be like, he crazy and listen to him and that's crazy. No, we need to really listen. Cause he said, this is from a male perspective of what we see from here. Y'all are looking from the women's perspective, from the male men perspective, we see this. You want your cake and eat it too. You want a six figure right. job. You want me to buy you red bottoms. And I got a $50,000 job. And when your girlfriend start floating their Louis Vuitton bag and I can't get you one, you mad at me, but the, you can't have it both ways. Well, so this is I, good. Th this, Go ahead. this is the thing to also keep in mind that, um, so, so the, the reason why I take the position I do is specifically for black people and black families. Okay. The average income for black men and black women um, is around 42,000, 44,000 to $38,000. We're in that range. 
the average income across Americans is around $55,000. 64% of most Americans who are married have a two household income. The way the United States of America is set up large in part is that you have to have a two household income. Okay. So, so yeah. we can talk about tradition in the fifties as much as we want, right? As a construct that, that works well for women. And I write in the book, why, why don't you choose the 1800s? Why, why the 1950s? Right. Why don't you choose right. choose something else? The reason you choose that is because it's the most adv advantageous time for how men and women were, situ were situated when it came to economics. However, when we look at that time frame, none of this was ever written for black people. This was written for, for white men and white women, middle class and upper middle class to live this particular lifestyle. I like the movie by um, Viola Davis, The Help. Because to me, that is very indicative of the state of the state of black men and women during that time. And the other movie, Fences with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, again, shows a very shows the male side, right, of a man going out to work, bringing home the money. He gives it to the wife. She 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 manages the finances in the home. But you don't see women working and making a whole lot of capital. So this right. system was never designed for the black man to be bringing home money to take care of the black woman. So what black women are asking for is for a white construct to also appease their their sensibilities in being an American resident or citizen. Because in other words, they're framing this through the lens of white people. And we know that whiteness is pervasive. So what black people were trying to do is live a white life that was never intended for them. And we are undermining our own black community by trying to live by white standards when our dollar to dollar ratio is like one to 50,000, right? Like we, we don't have the same capital white people have, but that you're trying to live the life white people have. The best mm. opportunity that black people have is for us to put our resources together and we need to focus on character as individuals and being better people to one another. And instead of making the finance, the center of the relationship. And when we do that, we can build something together. And our family, our family nucleus are, is able to remain intact. Then we can begin to pass money on to our children. Listen, the way that this world is set up in the, in, in these United States of America is that if, if it costs $3 to get in, the black man has a dollar 50, or if he has a dollar 25 and the black woman has a dollar and she's mad that black man got more money, but he's looking at like, I don't have that much more money together. We only got 250. So we both don't have enough to get in. We're better off working together and finding a way to get the extra 50 cents. But we keep hmm. on, but we keep on trying to hold each other down based on constructs that were never intended for our livelihood. We have to create a different framework if we want to be successful. How can someone get the book? All right, Adrian, we got four minutes. Listen, you didn't just drop the mic. I mean, listen, I've enjoyed this interview so much. Like your book, again, if you just tuned in, you need to get this book by Adrian and Carter. Let's get married and do everything except make it last. It has some wonderful, wonderful points in here. It is a great book. It'll, it'll really make you think not only as a man, but as a woman, it will give us insight on the mind of a man. And that's why we're here. Men hurt too. And men have been through some things and the system is not designed to work for them, especially black men. So I like to have this platform to understand the mind of a man. I'm gonna ask you one more question. What can we do as black women and community to help black men, to, to support. I'm not even gonna say help because I don't I don't really believe that you guys are. I believe you are strong and powerful and amazing, but what can we do realistically to support black men in our communities as black women? Uh, I think black women, um, I think first and foremost, keep in mind that we are two peas in the same pod. We are hmm. a group of people who are both victims of the diaspora. We are both victims of post-traumatic slave syndrome. We are the burden of race across the world. There's almost nowhere on this planet you can go where black people are not undermined. We are victims of colonialism across the world. 
we are, we've been separated from our spirituality and our God. We have been separated from our knowledge of who we are. So we are not each other's enemy, right? And the biggest fight that we have is thinking that we are each other's enemy. And that's because whiteness in our American society is pervasive. White supremacy is pervasive. And so we are, we have to stop seeing the world through white lens, which means whiteness is the, is the benchmark of success. Mm. When, when Saweetie talked about, oh, if he can't buy you a Birkin bag and pay all your bills. Well, okay. Who makes Birkin bags? Some white people. Oh, right. Some white people make Birkin bags. Some white people have determined that this is going to be a luxury item and God knows to what extent they go to, to create those items, but that's white people stuff. Why do we let white people tell us what this, what the benchmark of success is? Why do we let white people tell us what and who and where we should be and what should be considered valuable? So if we can begin to stop that, pervasiveness of whiteness in our own lives and we can begin to set our own benchmarks then it's much easier to see that the black man is not your enemy and it's much easier for black men to see that black women are not your enemy and i think the best thing we can do the best thing we could all do at this juncture find yourself a therapist find yourself a group unpack listen the the beautiful thing about our society at this particular juncture and I give a lot of credit to Charlemagne the God on, on 103.5. Um, well, he's on 103.5, the beat down here in South Florida, but from the, bre the Breakfast Club, is the books he's written about mental health and his openness about it in such a large national public platform. He has helped to normalize therapy. And I think it's a great thing. I think one, it's, we, we need to do a lot of things. We need to be more financially literate, which I think we're doing a great job of that. It's, it's sustained work, but as a conflict resolution practitioner, one of the best things I think we can do is promote to each other the need for us to get mental health, help, get therapy, yes. find, a, find a group, get with these organizations, listen to these podcasts. The great space that we're in, in this information age, is that we're oversaturated with information but that means that we have enough of the right information out there. All we need to do is just go to the podcast. Just listen to one it. of these coaches, right? They're there. They're giving you content. Use it for your benefit to release, to let go of the pain, to let go of the trauma, to let go of the thinking that you know doesn't work. It ain't worked yet. Yeah. And begin to renew your mind into a better space. And when you begin to show up in a way renewed mind, and that's for our men and for our women, we're able to meet each other. And it goes back to what I said. You have a man who's willing to work on himself and pull his weight and be aligned. And she's willing to do the same thing. And we're able to come together knowing that we're willing to help each other in that process as you hold yourself accountable and I hold myself accountable. And then we be accountable to each other. And mm. in that space, of caring, sharing, love, trust, honor, and respect, we're able to find some solutions. I'm sorry, I felt like you was on the stage just now, so I got to give you your props. I love that, and I love Charlemagne the guy. I just finished his book uh, about two weeks ago, Shook One. It yeah. was so good, right? Like, and if you could listen to an audio, he, I was driving, and he had me cracking, he had me laughing, crying, understanding. Just, it was really a good book. So thank you for mentioning that book, because th those are these are just resources that are out there, like you said, to just sit in the car instead of listening to music or something that's not feeding your soul. Listen to Charlemagne's book. It really, really helped. And you know, I told my son to listen to. It. He said I heard some things about him. I said, listen, you heard what media said. Just listen to the book. Right, like, right. And, and so, what if you did? <laughs> right. I'm like, boy, listen to book. <laughs> yeah. That's that's our problem too. Like, I don't want it that person that 
just I, just listen to the book. And I told everybody that I could tell you got to listen to this book because his, his wife, me and Mook Mook, we friends in my mind now. Just I, I just love the book. So again, if you just tuned in, we are here with Adrian and Carter, the author of the book, Let's Get Married and Do Everything Except Make It Last. It, the book is amazing. Adrian just dropped a whole bunch of gems on us from the perspective of a Black man. And I like to have this this, these talks so that we can really understand the mind of a black man and who better from than a black man. So please um, just give us a final thought and then tell us where everybody can find you. Well, again, thank you for having me on. Like I said, I, I treasure these moments. I don't take them lightly. I'm very appreciative of it to allow me into your space with your audience. Um, I would just say, you know, con continue to rethink what we think we know. Um, my God sister put up a quote on her Facebook um, that says, um, learning is education, unlearning is elevation. Mm. And that is what like my book it. is seeking to do. It's, it's, it's teaching you how to unlearn what we've been taught so that we can make space right, for a revolutionary thought process that works for where we are in our times, right? I don't discount what we've done in the past. I just don't think it's any longer applicable in a lot of our ways. And because we keep on trying to hold on to what worked before in a new system, you can't put old wine, you know what, new wine into an old bottle or, or old wine in a new bottle, whichever way it goes. Yeah. Either way it goes, you can't put it in the bottle, right? So let's right. just stop doing that, okay? Uh, I, again, I'm Adrian Carter. You can uh, follow me on all social media platforms at Adrian Carter Speaks. I'm on Clubhouse at Dr. Carter Speaks. And my book is on Amazon, everywhere that books are sold. Or you can go to my website, which is AdrianCarterSpeaks.com. And uh, it will take you right to the book as well. Again, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to uh, listen. Men Hurt Too, brought to you by hashtag Coffee with T. I am T. You know you can follow me everywhere on social media at Trey Kearney. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. Remember what I tell you at the end of all my broadcasts. You deserve the best. Yes, I'm talking to you. You deserve the best. Now go get it. Peace and blessings. And remember Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Thank you guys, and I will see you next time. Peace and blessings.